You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. This is week uh, number three in our series called Blessed, Living in the Blessing of Abraham. How many of you are blessed in here today? Turn to somebody close by and say, I am blessed, and so are you. Now, what we want to do is we want that to maybe lose some of the cliche value and become very real to us so that we can understand that we are truly blessed. So we're going to uh, look at our foundation scripture, and then I promise I'm going to try and keep the review down to five minutes. So let's see if we can do that. Here we go. Here's our foundation. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why did he do that? So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So we're going to expound more on this in our review, but I want to just emphasize that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He became a curse for us. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham could come upon us uh, and even us Gentiles who are not naturally born Jews. So as we've said in the previous couple of weeks, what is the curse? Well, the curse is a declaration which dooms someone to failure. Now, the curse is available to everyone. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 30 that God said, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore you choose. So you and I have the privilege of being able to choose whether we're going to live in the life of God, we're going to walk in the blessing of God, or we can choose another direction and experience uh, the curse, which is, as we said in our definition, dooms someone to failure. Now, there are three aspects that make up the curse, and that is this. The curse is made up of three parts, spiritual death, sickness and disease, and poverty and lack. So when Adam sinned, this curse was released into the earth, brought into it spiritual death, poverty and lack, and sickness and disease. You know, as I have said to you before, when the, when the Garden of Eden was created, there was no sickness and disease, there was no poverty and lack, and there was no spiritual death. But when Adam bowed his knee to Satan and committed treason and sinned against the Lord, the curse was brought into the earth. And so, uh, you know, all you have to do to experience the curse really is be born into the world in a natural standpoint. And then the curse comes is part of the life that we are doomed to live separate from God. But here's the good news. Christ has purchased us, ransomed us, and rescued us from the curse of doom, destruction, and failure. Aren't you glad Jesus has redeemed us? He has brought us out. Amen? I want to read to you Galatians 3.14. We read it from the New King James just a moment ago, but look at it in the Passion Translation. It says this, Jesus, our Messiah, was cursed in our place and in so doing, dissolve the curse from our lives. I like that translation. 
so that all the blessings of Abraham can be poured out upon even non-Jewish believers. And now God gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit, the wonderful Holy Spirit who lives within us when we believe him. Now, just in case you were wondering if you were part of Abraham's seed or not, let's look at another verse later on in that same chapter, verse 29. And it says this, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So when you go back in the Old Testament and you look in Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and so forth, and you read about the life of Abraham and you see how God was good to him, how the blessing of God came upon his life, enabled him to prosper and to accomplish great things, then you need to know that through Jesus Christ, you are an heir of all of that. You might not be a natural-born Jew, and, but in Christ, you have become part of Abraham's seed. And so everything that Abraham inherited, now you are a candidate for. So that's what the curse is all about. That's the blessing that came upon Abram's life and Abraham's life. So let's define what is the blessing. The blessing is a declaration which empowers someone to succeed and prosper. So a curse is what dooms someone to failure. The blessing is what empowers someone to succeed and prosper. By the way, uh, all the notes from the previous two sermons are, are on the, the website. So if you miss any of this, don't worry, it's all there for you. But I want you to understand that you as a Christian, as a born-again believer, are no longer under that curse. You are under the blessing of Abraham. The Bible says that the blessing comes upon us. It's like a garment that we wear everywhere we go. And so it is something which empowers us. Now, there's a scripture. It's not in your notes, but there's a scripture in Deuteronomy 8 that says, don't forget the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth so that he may establish his covenant. Now, as we said to you, God doesn't give you wealth. He gives you an ability to get wealth. He gives you an empowerment. And that's what the blessing is. It's an empowerment that causes things to happen in your favor. Matter of fact, we went on to say this, that the blessing means that things that used to work against you now begin to work for you. You know, don't, don't have words coming out of your mouth to this effect. You know, nothing works out for me. Nothing ever happens good for me. No, don't let those words come out of your mouth. As a born-again believer, begin to say things like, no, the blessing is upon me and things work in my favor. Amen? And I want, I want to challenge you with this. I heard a pastor say this not too long ago. When you hear somebody give a testimony about how God has moved in their lives, how God has provided, how God has healed, how God has been just poured out his goodness in somebody's life, instead of getting jealous and saying, you know, that never happens to me, let these words come out of your mouth. That happens to me all the time. Okay? So when you hear somebody give a powerful testimony, just, you know, maybe in your own heart, say, you know what? That happens to me all the time. Because God is no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he will do for all. Amen? All right, so here's uh, what we talked about last week. The blessing covers every area of your life. We talked about four areas that the blessing covers. Here's the first one, wherever you are. 
wherever you are, you are blessed. The scripture says in Deuteronomy 28, 3, you will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. And as we said, you're in one of two places. You're either in the country or you're in the city. If you're not in the city, you're in the country. And so we might not call it country now, but you know what I'm saying. So the blessing is upon you wherever you are. The second area of your life that the blessing is on is on whatever you do. So not only wherever you are, are you blessed, but whatever you do is blessed. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 8, the Lord will command the blessing on you in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So God will bless you wherever you are. He will bless whatever you set your hand to. Thirdly, he said he would bless whatever you have. By the way, all of this is listed in Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 14. And so you are blessed, and whatever you have is blessed. So God wants to bless you wherever you are. He wants to bless whatever you put your hands to. He wants to bless whatever you have. The scripture says in Deuteronomy 28, 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Now, you know, a lot of us, we don't make bread today by hand as they did back then. But what he's saying is your daily provision. God will bless your daily provision. What you need on a day-to-day -day basis. Deuteronomy 28, verse 8 says, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses. So listen, your storehouses could be a number of things. It could be uh, you know, financially, could be a savings account, investments. It could be, uh, you know, where your, your physical uh, places where you store stuff, things like that. The blessing is on you everywhere. And then the fourth area that we are blessed is wherever we go. So wherever you are, whatever you set your hands to, whatever you have, and wherever you go, that pretty much sums it up. That's the four different areas of your life that God has promised that the blessing is on you. Deuteronomy 28, verse 6. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. That pretty much sums it up. We're either coming in or going out. You remember, how many of you remember being a kid and your mama telling you either get out or stay in, but don't op quit opening the door? Anybody remember that? Okay. In the, we're coming up on the time of year when uh, we had to stay outside all the time. Uh, you know, so because it was warm, it was nice, you could go outside and play. But here's my point. You're either coming in or going out, and God says you are blessed in doing either. So here's what I want you to see is that every area of your life has been blessed by heaven. The heavenly Father has blessed every aspect of your life through what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Now, I want to move to a promise that's in Deuteronomy 28, and let's look at 28, verse 7. Deuteronomy 28, and verse 7. And uh, I, I studied a lot of this out and looked at it, but Deuteronomy 28, 7 says this, The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Now, what's interesting about this is at this time, the children of Israel had literal enemies, people that did not want them 
uh, to enter into the promised land that did not like them and were attacking them and so forth. In the day and time that you and I live, we don't have enemies that are people. The Bible says, uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So listen, uh, can I say this to you? Your boss ain't your enemy. Okay. Some of y'all, that disappointed you, okay? <laughs> your spouse is not your enemy. No, you know, no person is your enemy. We have one adversary who causes uh, adverse circumstances in our lives that can be enemies to us, and we're going to talk about that more in just a second. But the Scripture tells us that we walk in love. The commandment that we have is to walk in love and forgiveness and that type of thing, and this isn't a sermon on that, but what I want you to understand is we have different enemies than the children of Israel did in their day. However, this promise is still applicable to us. He will cause our enemies who rise up against us to be defeated before our face. They will come out against us one way and flee before you seven ways. So if you're taking notes today on your handout there, write this down, and that is this, your enemies will be defeated before your face. Your enemies, your adversaries, whether it be adversarial circumstances or the enemy himself, will be defeated before your face. What does that mean? That means that God will let you see your victory. Amen? And so let me look at just a Hebrew definition of defeated it means this from the Hebrew word, sudden, quick, decisive, fatal blow with the intent to utterly conquer and destroy. That pretty much sums it up, that, that he will deal to your enemy a decisive blow. Amen. Now, Jesus has already won the victory. The scripture tells us that he defeated Satan at the cross and when he was raised from the dead... But how many of you understand that Satan is hard-headed? He hasn't been wanting to accept that defeat. He hasn't been wanting to accept the fact that you and I have the victory over him. And so what we are assigned to do is to enforce that victory, to make sure that that victory is carried out. I love what Adam Clark's commentary of the Bible says this. This is a promise of security from foreign invasion or total discomfiture. Now, discomfiture is a word that's above my pay grade, so I had to look it up, all right? Discomfiture means this, a feeling of unease, embarrassment, or awkwardness of the invaders should they enter the land. So here's what God is saying, and this commentary is saying, this is a promise of security from foreign invasion, a total unease, embarrassment, or awkwardness of the invaders that try and come against you. So how would you like your enemies to be embarrassed and feel awkward because they came against you? Amen. I think all of us would. And so what we need to understand is, is that this is what God wants for each and every one of us. Y'all hear you gone home. All right. Let's look at Exodus 23, verse 22. The scripture says this, but if you carefully obey his voice, God's voice, and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary. 
That is what God has promised to each and every one of us is that if you will obey him, and of course that's how we enact or, or, or cause the blessing to become active in our lives is through our obedience. So when we obey the word of God, God said, I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Can I say it to you this way? God's got your back. I, I don't know about you, but that does something for me to give me a little confidence to know that God has my back. He's got you covered. Amen. Exodus 23, 27, same chapter, a little, a few verses down. He said this, I will send my terror ahead of you and create panic among all the people whose lands you invade. I will make all your enemies turn and run. Now, this was a promise to the children of Israel as they were going into the lands that God had told them to possess that their enemies would be afraid of them. And we see this, we won't turn to it for the sake of time, but if you'll remember when the two spies were sent into Jericho, Rahab made a comment to them. You remember Rahab was a woman that lived in Jericho that the spies encountered? And she told them this whole story. Hey, listen, we've heard about what your God did for you in splitting the Red Sea, defeating Pharaoh and his armies, and our people are afraid of you because of what we have heard. And so God is saying to us that through this, he will do the same for us. That you need to understand, when you wake up tomorrow morning, don't go, oh my God, it's Monday. No, do this, have this in your mindset. The devil and his team are watching you get up and go, oh my, they're awake. Okay, you need to understand that. He does not like seeing you move about. Somebody says, well, you know, how come, uh, you know, I'm not having that great effect because you don't believe that you can have that great effect. And so I want you to understand that, that he gets nervous when you get up. Now, God not only says that he will become an adversary to your adversary, an enemy to your enemies. Here's the second thing he said, write this down, please, that your enemies will flee before you seven ways. Your enemies will flee. Everybody say flee. They will flee before you seven ways. Flee means simply this. They will run away. They will run away before you seven ways. I love Deuteronomy 28, 7 in the Message Bible. It says this, God will defeat your enemies who attack you. Listen to this. They'll come at you on one road and run away on seven roads. I like that. So when enemies come against, and we're going to talk about what those enemies are in just a second, but when enemies come against us, God said that he would make sure that they might come in one area, but they're going to flee before you in seven ways. Amen? So what is the significance of seven? Why is it? Uh, you know, that God said they will flee before you seven ways. How many of you know God does not do random, he doesn't do accidental, and he doesn't just say words to fill pages, okay? So if he said seven ways, there is a reason that he used that number. The number seven in the Bible means this. It means perfection, it means completion, and it means total victory, so what God is saying to you is the enemy may come in before you one way, 
but I'm going to make sure that, that the victory is complete, the victory is total, and, and it's going to be perfected in every way that it possibly can. That's God's promise to us. Now, moving on in today's notes, there are seven defeated enemies of your life. Now, there might be variations of this, but uh, you can summarize seven enemies that come against us that have been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ and that God has promised us victory over. So, What's interesting to me is that in the scripture, there are seven redemptive names of God. And all of those seven redemptive names deal with one of the seven enemies that will come against you. So let's look at this. Here we go. Write this down, please. The seven redemptive names of God completely cover the total defeat of seven major enemies of our lives. Anybody want to know what those seven enemies are? We'll come back next week and I'll tell you. No, I'm just kidding. We'll get into it today. All right, so there are seven enemies. Here's the first enemy that God has said will come against you, but he's promised you victory, and that is the enemy of lack. The enemy of lack. You need to understand, lack is not a blessing. Lack is an enemy. Now, you know, some people have a problem with those of us who tell you that God wants to meet your needs, that God wants to bless you and, uh, you know, prosper you and things like that. I make no apology for what the Word says. Now, I will tell you this. God is not promising that every one of His children are going to be gazillionaires. He's not saying that. But what He is saying is, that you can experience provision in your life to a degree and blessing in your life, prosperity in your life to a degree where all of your needs are taken care of and you have more than enough so you are in a position to take care of other people's needs and be a blessing to them. After all, that was what the promise, uh, you know, when Abraham was promised by the Lord that God would bless him, he put a, a, an addendum on that and he said, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. And so that's what God is after. He wants us blessed so that we can be a blessing. So here's the enemy of lack. Now God's name, redemptive name in the scripture that combats lack is he is Jehovah Jireh is one is the English pronunciation. The Hebrew is Yehovah uh, or Yahweh Yireh, okay? Now, you don't need to know that, but anyway, Genesis chapter 22, look at where Abraham encountered the Lord as his provider. It says, and this is when Abram had gone up to offer uh, Isaac as a sacrifice. He fully obeyed God, and the angel stopped him, and uh, he looked up, it says, then Abraham looked up, Genesis 22, 13 and 14, and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Verse 14, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, or in our English, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. So Jehovah Jireh wants to 
bring you victory against the enemy of lack. Now, as we look at these seven redemptive names, we're going to see an Old Testament scripture, and then we're going to see, how many of you know God is the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament and vice versa? Some people think God has multiple personalities. He doesn't. He's the same God. He doesn't change. And so look at what Philippians 4.19 says. It says that my God, Paul saying, shall liberally supply, in the Amplified Bible, fill to the full your every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's Jehovah Jireh. God wants to overcome and defeat the enemy of lack in your life. Amen? Here's a second enemy that is something that comes against all of us, and that is the enemy of sickness. Sickness is not your friend. Sickness is not a blessing. Sickness is a curse. Anybody in the room ever been sick before? All right. During that time while you were sick, did you feel like it was a blessing? No. Okay. It is not. It is not a blessing. And sickness is part of the curse that was introduced into the earth through Adam's sin. So sickness and disease is not a part of God's original plan for man. So what God has said is, I will help you overcome the enemy of sickness. And so he says, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Now God, again, I need to emphasize this. God is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible says. Was Jesus a healer? In the Gospels, did Jesus put sickness and disease on anybody? No, not one time. And so if Jesus is the same today as he was then, then he is still a healer today. Now, one thing you need to understand is that Jesus in his redemptive act and going to the cross, he took upon himself stripes upon his back so that we may be healed. All right, let's look at this. Exodus 15, 26, God said to the children of Israel, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right, do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent. In the actual Hebrew, that means allowed, that I allowed on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. In other words, he said, I am Jehovah Rapha, your healer. Now, God doesn't have any sickness and disease. So he can't send sickness and disease on people. That's actually a little bit of a mistranslation. But the Hebrew actually says that he allowed those things to come on the Egyptians. God took his protective hand off of them and uh, they experienced those plagues. But what I want you to see is the children of Israel were made a promise for God said, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. First Peter chapter two and verse 24 says this, he who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness and by whose stripes you were Healed. 
Now, on the cross, this is a quote from Isaiah 53. Isaiah looked at it from the future. He was looking at it from behind and looking at the future. And in Isaiah 53, in verse 5, Isaiah wrote and said, By his stripes you are healed. Peter looked at it from uh, the present, looking back at the cross, and he said, By his stripes you were healed. So healing belongs to the Christian. Healing belongs to every believer. Now, does every believer get healed? Obviously, no. Why? Because either they don't know or aren't in a position to be able to receive, but it is God's will that every person be healed. There's not one time. Now, Jesus is the example of the perfect will of God. There's not one time that Jesus said, you know what? I'm trying to teach you something. I'm going to need you to carry that for a little while longer because you haven't learned your lesson. Not one time did he tell anybody that. No, everybody that came to him in faith, believing to receive, they were healed. And you can be as well. Amen? So sickness is an enemy. Here's the third enemy that, that comes against us that God has given us the victory over, and that is the enemy of failure. The enemy of failure. Don't let failure become a friend. Failure is not a friend. Failure is an enemy. Somebody says, well, you know, don't I fail and make mistakes? Because you're human, yes. But here's what I want you to understand. Failure of a marriage, failure of a, uh, a relationship, failure of things of that nature is not the will of God. Can I get a better amen than that? All right. <laughs> amen. Now, God's redemptive name that addresses the enemy of failure is Jehovah Nisi. Now, that's a Hebrew word that means he is our banner and our victory. Jehovah Nisi. By the way, there are 12 names given to God in the scripture. Now, we're only going over the seven redemptive names that connect with what Jesus did for us. But look at this, Exodus 17. Now, if, if you'll remember, there's a story in, in the book of Exodus where the children of Israel encountered an enemy, and in the valley, Joshua was fighting the battle, and while Moses was sitting up on the hill, uh, you remember the Lord told him, hold your staff up, and as long as your arms are raised, you'll get the victory. And you remember Moses began to get tired, and his arms began to sink. The moment that his arms began to sink, it says that the enemy began to prevail, but the scripture says that Aaron went and helped him hold his hands up. And as long as his hands were in the air, the children of Israel prevailed. And so what I want you to see is, and look at Exodus 17, verses 8 through 15. Or actually, we're, we're going to just look at verses 14 and 15. And after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua, I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses then built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, or Jehovah Nisi, which means 
The Lord is my banner or the Lord is my victory. God wants you to have victory in your life. First uh, John chapter 5 and verse 4. Uh, somebody just quote out to me real quick. John 3.16, for God that he gave, that... Okay, so in John 3.16, you're called a whosoever, all right? In this verse, it says this, 1 John chapter 5, the same guy wrote, Gospel of John wrote this letter. He said, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So I got news for you. If you're not a whosoever, you're definitely a whatever, all right? So he said this, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So if you are a believer and Jesus is the Lord of your life and you have been born again, then you qualify to overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith, the scripture says. So, you know, and there are other scriptures in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8 says that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So Jehovah Nisi your victory has won the victory for you. So failure and defeat is not a friend. Failure and defeat is an enemy. And you need to know that that enemy has already been overcome. Here's number four, and this is a big one, and that is the enemy of worry. The, the enemy of worry. Worry is an enemy. Worry is not your friend but yet we seem to accommodate it all the time. How many of you have ever been bothered by something and it kept you awake all night? Okay. Did you enjoy that? No, especially the next day if you had to go to work. Okay. It was not fun missing out on all that sleep. What you need to understand is worry is not your friend. Worry is an enemy. And so God says this, I am Jehovah Shalom. I am the Lord of your peace. He is the God of peace. Now, I love this word Shalom. If, if you were to live in Israel, even today, uh, the word Shalom is a greeting that Hebrew people use to greet one another. And, and, and just for the sake of conversation, let me give you what the totality of that word means when one Jew greets another and they say, Shalom. What that word means is this, nothing missing, nothing broken, everything as God intends for it to be. So uh, I think Shalom is, is an easier way to say that, but you need to understand that when God says, I am your peace, he is telling you, I want your life to be where nothing is missing, nothing is broken, and everything is as I want it to be. And so when he says that I am the Lord, your peace, he's not just saying I am the Lord that provides you a vacation from conflict. No, what he's saying is I want to be your peace. And here's the good news. If you've ever been bothered at night by worry and stress, 
Jehovah wants to set you free from that to where you can lay your head on the pillow every night and lay there and sleep soundly at peace because Jehovah Shalom is on your side and has defeated your enemy. Let's look at this. Judges chapter 6 and verse 24. Gideon, you might have heard of Gideon, wrought a great victory for Israel. And the Bible says that Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And what this means is, let me just give you a little background of Gideon's story, is that there was, was a group of people that were several times a year coming through, and particularly at harvest times, and when the children of Israel would be trying to reap their harvest, this enemy would come through and steal the harvest from them. And it was leaving them without food, and so God raised up this man named Gideon, who with 300 people went out and defeated this enemy. And so that's why he's saying that at this point, I'm building an altar to say, God is our peace. We don't have to experience that enemy anymore. So you don't have to live under stress. You don't have to live under anxiety. You don't have to live under worry. Now, let me ask you a question. I didn't put it in your notes, but if Jesus said, don't do something and we do it, is that sin? Are you sure? Okay. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, do no, actually verse 25, do not worry about your life. I could do a mic drop and we could all go home and that's a mouthful right there. Jesus doesn't want you worried. He doesn't want you stressed out about life. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the apostle Paul wrote this. He said, don't worry about anything. Now listen, I'm just as guilty as you are of being tempted with, to worry. But, but Jesus said, don't worry. Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, said, don't worry. So guess what? God doesn't want us to worry. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. And then, I'm going to read this. Then you will experience God's peace. In other words, then Jehovah Shalom shows up. Now listen, if you want to worry, God will let you worry. You know what worry is? It's you trying to figure out how to solve your own problems. And if you want to try and figure it out without God's help, God will surely let you. But I don't know about you. I've spent too many sleepless nights. I've worried enough. I am, I am all for letting God handle it. All right? Excuse me for puberty, but it's happening. All right? I'm just kidding. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. There is something about God's peace. Jesus said it's a peace that passes all understanding. It's peace not as the world gives, he said. I give it. It's different. In other words, there is something wonderful about his peace. And listen, Chaos can be going on around you. I'm not pretending to tell you 
that when you refuse to worry, all your problems go away. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, while there's stuff going on out here, you can have peace in here and peace in here. When you let Jehovah Shalom be Jehovah Shalom. Here's number five, the enemy of confusion. The enemy of confusion. Now, I want to say this, and I say this with all due respect. I see a lot of Christians, especially right now, dealing with and suffering from this enemy right here. There are a lot of Christians that are confused about what's right and what's wrong, what God's Word says, what it doesn't say, and God doesn't want us to be confused. Now, the, the redemptive name for the Lord is this, Jehovah Ra'ah. And that means the Lord is my shepherd. Now, you might not equate shepherding with the enemy of confusion, but just hold on. Let's, uh, somebody tell me, what's the most famous scripture about the Lord being your shepherd in the Bible? Psalm what? 23. Y'all are smart. Let's look at it. The Lord is my shepherd. So what he just said, what David just wrote is, the Lord is is ra-ah, kind of a compound word. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, confusion is a cousin to worry in the sense of confusion comes when you worry about a situation so long that your mind gets jumbled up about what's really going on. And uh, we get confused when we can't see clearly, when, when there's a fog, if you will, um, it just seems like things don't make sense, we're confused. So God said, or David wrote by the, by the Spirit of the Lord, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now notice this, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Now, in the original language, the word soul meant the core of your being. In the New Testament, it means this. It means your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, you need to understand something. As a born-again believer, confusion is not out of your spirit. God, uh, The scripture says in the New Testament, God is not the author of confusion. So if God lives here in your spirit as a born-again believer, confusion does not come out of your spirit. It comes into your mind. And David wrote here and he said that the Lord will lead me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with sheep at all. Uh, I've done a little bit of study on sheep. And, and sheep are very skittish animals. They're very jumpy. And the slightest thing agitates them. And so there's a reason that the shepherd has to lead the sheep beside still waters. Sheep will not relax around a roaring brook or river where there's a lot of rock and river I mean, water is splashing and all of that. The shepherd has to bring them to a place where the water has pooled and it is still and quiet before the sheep will settle down and become relaxed. And what the Lord is saying here is that he will lead us into green pastures where there's plenty of provision and then he will lead you to a place where you can relax and be calm. 
God is all about you being calm. Even in the middle of trouble, even in the middle of adversity, you can still be calm and relaxed. You don't have to be agitated. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's look at what the New Testament says, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. You might remember this scripture as God did not give us a spirit of fear. But God did not give us a spirit of timidity, the Amplified says, of cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. In other words, you're able to chill. Turn to somebody close by and say, you need to chill. Okay? See, you need to chill. You need to let the Lord, your shepherd, facilitate and drive out the enemy of confusion and agitation. All right? Here's number six. And that is this, the enemy of condemnation. Condemnation is not your friend. Condemnation is an enemy. Now, condemnation goes hand in hand with guilt and shame. All three of them are close cousins. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. All three of those things are an enemy to you. Now, somebody says, well, you know, I just feel so bad about the life that I lived before I gave my heart to Christ. Well, can I help you with something? The Bible says that that has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. God has cast it from his memory. He said in Isaiah, I will remember your sin no more. So let me ask you a question. If God has forgotten it, why do you keep bringing it up and reminding him? The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from all sin, all unrighteousness. Your past is gone and the, 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 you are a brand new person. I, I want to encourage you, do a study sometime on shame that, that Jesus took the burden of shame off of you. You do not have to be ashamed of your past. Jesus took that from you. And so the enemy of condemnation is and this is a sly, sly enemy because he sneaks in and he comes at you when you want to pray. Let's say you have a need in your life and you want to pray. You want to release your faith. You're going to believe God to meet this need and you get ready to pray. And here comes this thought into your thinking. Well, you know what you did last year, last week, last month. That's condemnation coming in. Look at what Jeremiah 23 says, for the time is coming. Now, this is Jeremiah prophesying about what Jesus would do. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. And that is Jehovah Sidkenu. That's a weird word, but that's what that means. The Lord is our righteousness. So his name will be Jehovah Sitkanu. And so he's prophesying about Jesus, and he says he is the Lord, our righteousness. 
turn to somebody and say, you are righteous. Now, what that means is, uh, you know, that's a religious sounding word, but here's what righteous means. You have the privilege of standing in God's presence as though sin never existed. Wow. We stand in the presence of a holy God. I mean, think about the holiness of God. There is nothing wrong, impure, sinful, dark about the Father at all, but God lets us, through the blood of Jesus Christ, stand in his presence as though sin never existed. You know, there's a misconception, misbelief in the body of Christ. Maybe you've heard this before. I heard this growing up in the denominational church. And that is this, that when we all, born again or not, go to heaven, that we're going to stand before God at the judgment seat. And it's going to be like God has big screens and God's going to play everything throughout your entire life. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, whatever. And, and, and he's going to judge us based on what's in the video. <laughs> All right? Can I tell you there is nothing farther from the truth. If you have made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, all of that is gone. The only thing that you will have to give an account for is how you handled your calling and what God called you to do on this earth. Then you'll be rewarded based on what you accomplished. But, but the penalty and payment of sin and the judgment for sin was placed upon the Lord Jesus so that you and I would not have to carry it. Because listen, if that's what heaven is going to be like and we all have to stand there and everybody's going to see your business, why did Jesus go to the cross? What's the point? No, he went and took care of all of that. He paid that price. All right, let's look at Romans 8.1. I love the Passion Translation of this verse. The, the old King James says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Look at this. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. Listen, the next time that voice comes into your head and says, well, you know what you did. Say, yeah, I know what I did, but the blood of Jesus paid for, paid for that. That's all been washed away. Don't let condemnation be your friend. Here's the last enemy, and that is this, the enemy of fear. The enemy of fear. This one is huge. Huge. Now, the Lord, the redemptive name for God for, to deal with this one, to overcome this enemy, is Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah. And this literally means the Lord is there. Now, somebody might say, well, the Lord is where? He's there. Where? You, there. Let me show you. Okay? Look at Ezekiel 48, verse 35. Ezekiel, the prophet, had a visitation and a vision from an angel, and they measured the temple and everything about Jerusalem and so forth. And it, and it says this, all the way around shall be 18,000 cubits. He was giving him a measurement. And the name of that city from that day shall be Jehovah 
Shama, the Lord is there. Now I've got something that'll help you. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, it says this, And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So when God says, I am Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there, and you say, where? He says, wherever you are. I don't, I don't think you got that. As a born-again believer, wherever you is, you, I started to say you is. I, I did get educated, all right. Wherever you are, the Lord is. I'm going to say that to you again. Wherever you are, the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah is present. Now, somebody says, well, what's that got to do with fear? Listen, when you have a confidence and you know on the inside of you that God is with me, that he'll never leave me nor forsake me, I don't have to fear anything. Are you listening to me? You do not have to be afraid. I'm just, I'm just scared to death that, you know, I might get in a car accident on the way home. Not if you got Jehovah Shammah with you. The Bible says that he is your ever-present help in a time of need. Besides that, the scripture goes on to say, and I promise you I'm going to teach on this one of these days when the Lord gives me permission. But besides that, you've got at least one, I believe more than one, angel that's assigned to you to protect you and to keep you safe. Thank you for your enthusiasm. No, let your confession be not I'm scared to death this is going to happen. No, thank you, Lord. I get in my car today and I'm going to have a good trip to work. I'm going to be protected. That's why I stand up here at the end of every service and I declare that blessing over you and I say the angels are encamped round about you to protect you and to keep you safe. Why? Because Jehovah Shammah, the ever-present help, is there with you. Look at Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you, have, as you have. For God himself has said, I, and this is a quote of Deuteronomy 31, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, I want to I say something. And my heart goes out to the families that experienced loss yesterday in, in Buffalo, New York, with that tragedy up there. What a horrible thing. But let me tell you something. Listen to me, my brothers and sisters. Don't get in your car and go anywhere without knowing your protector is on your side. That Jehovah Shammah is with Now, somebody says, well, are you saying they, I don't know. I'm talking to you. I don't know about those folks up there. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. Listen, we live in a crazy, broken, fallen world full of broken, crazy, fallen people. And you need to know 
that God is your standard. You need to know, I don't have to be afraid because I guarantee you there are people now who, uh, particularly in that area, that are scared to go to the grocery store. And I understand it. But you don't have to be afraid. Like, can I tell you a testimony real quick? There was a, a missionary, um, this, this was years and years ago, a man by the name of Terry Mize was a missionary, and I'm trying to remember what country he was in. I want to say it was in South America. And uh, he got um, kidnapped and confronted by some bandits in the day, and uh, they, were, they took him out into a field to kill him. And uh, so the man pulled the gun out and had Terry at gunpoint, point-blank range, and Terry said, you can't kill me. In the name of Jesus, you cannot kill me. And so the guy pulled the gun up, pulled the trigger, and the gun jammed. The guy fixed the gun, pulled the trigger again, and even though it was aimed like this, at his chest, the bullet went between his legs and went out. I think there was several rounds that ended up getting fired, but they absolutely couldn't kill the man because he decided in Jesus' name, God is my protector, God is my shield and my buckler, and I will not fear what man will do to me. You don't, have to, you don't have to bow your knee to the enemy of fear. Hallelujah. Amen. I want you to have victory over the enemy of fear. How? Knowing God is with me. Somebody said, again, here's that condemnation thing. But God knows what I did. Yeah, he knows. But the blood, but the blood paid the price. And listen, God is not so fragile. He's not such a soft flower that your mistake causes him to undo his word. Can, can, am, can I help you with that? All right. In other words, I'm not saying you can live in sin, but what I am saying is, is that when you miss it, go to God, say, hey, Father, I missed it. I confess it to you. Forgive me in Jesus' name. And listen, God doesn't say, well, you know what? You're on your own for about a week. You're grounded. No, God is not moved by that. He loves you. He cares for you. And he is on your side. Now, all of this is part of the blessing. So I want to leave you with one last scripture, James chapter 4 and verse 7. The scripture says this, So then, surrender to God, stand up to the devil who is your enemy, and resist him, and he will turn and run away from you. You know what that sounds like to me? I will cause your enemies that come before you one way to flee from you seven ways. Now, you're going to have to resist. It's not automatic. When these enemies present themselves to you, you're going to have to stand up and say, no, in Jesus' name. You know, there's a song out that says, no, devil, not today. You're going to have to take a stand, and you're going to have to say, nope, I don't receive condemnation. Nope, I'm not going to have lack in my life. Nope, no more fear in my life. None of those things are your friends, they are your enemy, and you just stand up and say, nope, in the name of Jesus, I'll not have it. Amen? Did you get anything out of this today? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the word that we've heard today. I thank you that your word is working in us. 
Lord, I thank you that you have covered every area of our lives where the enemy would try and come in that you have already provided for. You have already covered that and you have said that you are our victory. You have said that you are our defender. You said that you will fight our battles for us. All we have to do is stand in faith in the name of Jesus and decide that we're not gonna tolerate the work of these enemies, these adversaries in our lives anymore. That Father, we're gonna experience your provision. We're gonna experience your peace. We're gonna experience your righteousness. We're gonna experience your victory. We're gonna overcome fear and have boldness. And Lord, we're gonna experience every single one of these things in our lives and we thank you for it. Lord, I thank you for Jesus and the price that he paid for us. Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood on the cross, for delivering us and for setting us free. Thank you, Lord, because of you and what you did. We are saved today, washed in the blood. We're clean and holy in the sight of our heavenly Father and we thank you for it and we give you praise. Now, Father, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. And Father, if there happens to be someone here today that is not sure where their relationship stands with you, Father, I pray that you would draw them by your spirit in Jesus' name. I pray, Father, that you would begin to work on the inside of them. Let them know, Father, that you love them, that you care for them, that the price has already been paid for their forgiveness, and that, Lord, in Jesus' name, their sin has already been washed away, bought and paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you can't say with confidence, I know where my relationship with God is, that I am a born-again believer, that I'm alive in Jesus, and that if my heart was to stop beating a few moments from now, I know that I would go to heaven to spend an eternity with Him. If that's you today, I want to pray a prayer with you and for you. I want to pray a prayer that will guarantee and make sure that you're right before God. I want to just have you say these words with me and mean them with your heart and pray this prayer to not just be born again, but maybe you need to recommit your life to the Lord. I want to invite you to do that today. Just say this simple prayer. Everybody pray this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I need you. I want you. Lord Jesus, I believe with all my heart that you died for me. And I believe with all my heart that you were raised from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Be the Lord of my life. Take my life and do what you will. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me. And thank you for giving me a brand new beginning. Now fill me to the full and overflowing with the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I'm brand new. Thank you that I'm clean and I'm right before you. In Jesus' name. 
Amen and amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.